Good morning. Great to be with you all this morning. Open your Bible, if you would, to Revelation chapter 7. And I'm going to make some room so I can move around up here. We pick up today in Revelation chapter 7. We pick up at the beginning of a chapter, but the middle of the story. Let me catch you up in case you weren't here, or in case, like me, you were here but don't remember. So a few chapters back, John, the apostle, is taken by the Holy Spirit into heaven itself. And he stands before the throne of God. And he sees God high and exalted and lifted up and surrounded by glory and then surrounded by worshipers of all different types, worshiping the one who's on the throne. And in the hand of the one on the throne is a scroll. This scroll is God's answer to our prayer, to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, where we pray to our Father in heaven, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John can see that God's kingdom, it's doing just fine in heaven, and His will is done in heaven. But the prayer of the church and the answer that's in that scroll is how God's kingdom will, will come to earth and how His will will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Jesus takes the scroll from His Father's hand because He's worthy to do so. And He begins to open the seals on that scroll. There are seven seals on it. So getting now to Revelation 6, the one right before what we're going to study this morning, that shows Jesus opening six of the seven seals on that scroll. We still don't know what's in the scroll. And it's still not opened because there's still one seal remaining on it. But throughout chapter 6, we saw one after the other uh, seals being opened and, and the judgment of God being poured out upon the earth in different ways. The final seal at the end of chapter 6 was that of the final judgment. And there is, as it says at the end of chapter 6, a great earthquake, and the sun became like sackcloth, and the moon like blood, and the stars fall from the sky, and the sky vanished like a scroll. And then all of the wicked, from every station in life, kings of the earth and powerful and slave and free, all of them opposed to God, call out in the last two verses of chapter 6, calling out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Notice that what they're crying out for is not in repentance. They're not crying out for mercy. They're not admitting their sins. They're not turning to the Lord in faith. They are trying to hide from God. And their question is, who can stand before this one? And that question hangs in the air. Indeed, who can stand? Revelation chapter 7 answers that question. Answers the question that was posed by the 
rebellious enemies of God at the end of chapter 6. And it answers it very simply. There is a people who can stand. And that people is God's people. That people is the church of Jesus Christ. They can stand even before this one. Even before God on His throne in His glory and before the Lamb who was slain. Revelation 7 is a hard passage. All right? Welcome to the book of Revelation, to be honest. Right? It's, it's symbolic. It's full of symbolism and, and pictures and imagery. It's going to give us, though, two different perspectives, two different images of the church of Jesus Christ, of His people. And it's going to answer the question, how can they stand? Who can stand? God's people can. How? Well, we're going to see two different answers in the two different halves of the chapter. We're going to do the whole chapter this morning. We're just going to take it in two different halves together. So point number one is going to go with verses one through eight. And point number one is this, if you're taking notes. God's people stand wearing the seal of Christ. God's people stand wearing the seal of Christ. Let's read, follow along with me as I read. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. God's holy word. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice, to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. God's word. Passage begins with the words, after this. After this, so John has been watching Jesus open the seals on the scroll and seeing all that is happening in response to those seals opening. And after this, right then, chapter 7. And what's surprising is that we're not opening the seventh seal right now. It was one, two, three, four, five, six. Wait, stop, hold on. So chapter 7 is a pause. The seventh seal is coming. It's the beginning of chapter 8. We're going to get there. But there's a, a, a great pause right here. And we see four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, guarding creation, watching over humanity, sentinels placed there by God. And a messenger is sent to them in verse 3. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees 
until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Do not harm creation until the servants of God are sealed. Okay, now, if we're going to understand this picture, we've got to understand the answer to a couple different questions. First of all, what's up with these angels? What are they doing? What's their, what's their role? What's their job? Why are they here? And then, who are God's servants that are going to get sealed on their foreheads? Who are we talking about? Who's this group of people? And then, what does it mean to seal them? So those are the questions I want to kind of work through. And, and the first is, who are these angels and what are they, what are they up to? This is probably the easiest of the, the three. These angels are, have, a, have a guardian role over the earth. They're at the four corners of the earth, right? Again, symbolic language, which is picturing that they're, they're watching over the totality of creation and they clearly are able to hold back or disperse judgment on God's creation. There's a delegated responsibility they've been given by God. That's a big responsibility that they've been given by God. And they are immediately told, wait, stop, hold on a second. Don't do it. Don't pour that out yet until we've sealed the servants of God with this seal. Don't pour out judgment on the earth. Now this is significant because of where we are in the story, right? The six seals just show judgment, judgment, judgment. Do you remember the first four were the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? So war and strife and famine and death being poured out. All of these were precursors to the final judgment. Warnings given by God that the final judgment is coming. They're precursors to the final judgment, but they're rough in their own way. And now the angels are told, hold on a second. Before that, wait. Pour none of this out until God's people are sealed and kept in the middle of all that is about to happen. All right. See, God is not going to pour out His judgments indiscriminately. This tells us what we already know. The judge of all the earth will do right. He is just. He knows those who are His. And He is able to send one event for the good and blessing of His people and for the utter terror and destruction of His enemies. And before those events begin to rain down upon the earth, God will seal those who are His so that they are preserved even through what's about to happen upon the earth. God is just and good. Now, who are God's servants that we see here? And I'll just admit that the first time you read this and probably the tenth time you read this, it's very easy to read this and to say, well, it sure looks to me like it's a specific remnant of 144,000 people that are Jewish, like from specific tribes. 12,000 from this one and 12,000 from this one, etc., etc. I do not at all believe that's what John is after here. John sees the New Testament church as true Israel. He sees the, the New Testament people of God as, as the fulfillment of the promises made about Israel. They're now coming 
true. The promises made about ethnic Israel are being realized through a multi-ethnic group from every tribe and tongue and people and, and nation. And so John hears this, and, he, and, and notice he does hear, I heard in verse 4, the number of the sealed. So he hears that where they're from, and he hears the number of them. So why 144,000? Well, just remember, as you read your Bible, right? If you're reading most places in the Bible, you're reading the book of Exodus, and Exodus says there are ten commandments, then guess what? There are ten commandments. And you should, you should when you're reading Exodus, assume that the numbers written down are actual physical numbers, not symbols of other things. However, when we're reading the book of Revelation, which is apocalyptic literature, it's written in symbols. And so our initial instinct should be the opposite when we're reading Revelation. Our initial instinct should be to say, this is probably symbolic. What's it symbolizing? Right? So 144 is 12 times 12. Right? We're like back in math class. right? 12 times 12. So... Listen, the number 12 is one of the clearest symbolic numbers in the book of Revelation. It symbolizes every time the people of God. Right? So when, when the new Jerusalem comes out of, down out of heaven at the end of the book, right? this is God's people coming down as a bride adorned for her husband, but looks like a city coming down. This is God's people coming down to the earth, and there are 12 gates to the city of the people of God which are named the 12 sons of Israel. And there are 12 foundation stones beneath that city, which are named the 12 apostles of the Lord. And the city itself is 12 units long, by 12 units wide, by 12 units tall. Lots of 12s going on. I'm just bringing those all in here so that you have reason to believe me when I say that right here, the number 12 refers to the fullness of the people of God. So then what's 144? Well, it's the number 12 times number 12. So it's like the people of God times the people of God. So this is like all the people of God, right? And then we use another number because it's not 144. It's 144,000. And the, the thousand used in, in, in Revelation, used over and over, speaks to a large crowd, a multitude. It could even mean numberless, like a lot, right? So what do we have? We have the people of God times the people of God times a vast multitude. This is all the people of God gathered, right? That's who the 144,000 are. They are all God's people. And you might say, well, why didn't John just say that? John writes in this particular way of apocalyptic literature so that those with ears to hear can hear and those with eyes to see can see. God is referring here to his people. Now, what's he going to do for his people? He's going to seal them. What is this seal? A seal. Remember, we, were just, we just had these scrolls, the scroll. And Jesus is breaking, what's he breaking? Seals on the scroll. When, when a king put his seal on a scroll, 
it was a mark of ownership. That scroll belongs to the king. It's a mark of genuineness. Anybody could come, and if they know the signet ring of the king, they could look at that scroll and say, yep, that's his. It's a mark of authority. It says, don't mess with this scroll unless you have the power of the one who sealed it. God is going to seal his people. It's a mark of ownership on his people. It's a mark of genuineness. You know, this world is confusing. Can you tell who, who Christians are and who aren't Christians? Sometimes we can, but often we can't. Right? There's parables in the New Testament about this, that the wheat grows up with the tares. It won't be until the final judgment when we can see the difference. That there's the sheep and there's the goats, and it's all mixed together in this world right now. And the Lord knows who are His, but we don't. Well, the Lord knows who are His, and He will seal all those who are His with His protective authority upon them. So, so what actually is this seal? It's kind of neat if you want to just flip like two pages over to Revelation 14. We actually see what's written on the seal. Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. What a picture that is. What's the seal with which God puts on our foreheads, on this 144,000, on his people? It is his name that he puts on us. Now, understandably, folks have struggled and have interpreted Revelation in literal ways rather than symbolic ways through the years. And so people think that God's going to tattoo his people. If we think symbolically, we would say, okay, this probably, and I've actually heard kids use this argument to their parents of why they should be allowed to get a tattoo. Because God's going to tattoo us one day. No, that's not how this works. You have that argument if you want. You can't use this text, okay? All right. So this is a symbol, is a picture of a spiritual reality. When it says that he's going to put his seal on our forehead, imagine if you did tattoo your forehead, no one could look at you but see it. The Father cannot, Christian, hear me, the Father cannot look at you but see the fact that you are His because you are sealed on your forehead by the Lord. That is wonderful news. This isn't the only time there's a seal given to people. If you want to switch one page back in chapter 13, the enemy that we haven't yet come across yet in the book of Revelation, the beast. The beast puts his seal on his servants as well. Revelation 13, 16, the beast causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both slave and free, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And the number we see in verse 18 is 666. You have probably heard the mark of the beast. 
The mark of the beast is the seal with which the beast seals his followers and his people. I've got news for you. You bear one of those marks. There is a thunderous reality to that. You have been sealed with the mark of ownership and genuineness and authority of the Lamb or the beast. The great lie of this world is when you hear the gospel proclaimed that you can either you know, submit to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord or you can be your own God. You can be your own Lord. You can be your own Master. You can be truly free. I can tell you what that is. That's the lie of the beast who is very happy for you to think you are his own you are your own master while you bear his mark on your forehead. Friend, this is a call to repentance. Every human being, great and poor, small and great, kings of the earth and slaves, belong to someone. Who do you belong to? Have you bowed your knees before the Lord who is the very definition of mercy and kindness whose rule is exercised always in love? Have you received Him as your Savior and confessed your sins that He would place His mark upon you? Because if you have not, you have made a, a terrible choice and you are bearing the mark of those in rebellion against God with a slave master as your master and awaiting the wrath of God for all who bear that mark. Turn to the Lord, dear friend, and receive His seal on your forehead. And church, this seal of God is such good news. It's so good. It means that He is going to keep you through whatever you walk through. You know, think of it, I thought of it this morning like a, like a jar of preserves, right? You know, when you open that jar for the first time and kind of pops? You know what I'm talking about, right? Kind of, the, the lid pops. You know what happens if you go to open that for the first time and the lid doesn't pop? You throw it away, Right? It's going to get ugh, ugh, be nasty inside, right? The seal preserves what's inside from decay. When the Lord places His seal on His people, it is to keep us. Those whom He seals, He keeps. This is the mark of God saying, this one's mine, they're going to make it. Power comes with that seal. Authority to to, to walk after Jesus and proclaim His name comes with that seal. The ability to endure comes with that seal. Friends, Revelation is a scary book with a lot of problems. Who can stand? Remember that question at the end of chapter 6. Who can stand in light of all this? Who can do it? Well, not you and not me. Not by ourselves. But if you are sealed with the seal of God Himself, that is all that you need. 
because the Lord will keep those whom he seals. So how will God's people stand? God's people stand wearing the seal of Jesus Christ. Praise him. Surprisingly wonderful book, isn't it? We are halfway done with this chapter. I want to turn our attention now to the second half. The first point that we made looking at the first half, God's people stand wearing the seal of Christ and the second, God's people stand wearing the righteousness of Christ. And for that, we get a vision into heaven in the second part of this chapter. It is beautiful and wonderful. Verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels who were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes? From where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. He said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God's word. This is the second picture of the church. So remember what just happened in the first half. John heard the number 144,000 and heard them called out from every tribe. Verse 4. And I heard the number of the sealed. Now he turns and looks. Verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude. Now this is, this is just revelation at its best. Doing its apocalyptic literature symbol thing. What does he hear? He hears 144,000. That's a very specific number of Jews. What does he see when he turns and looks at that? He sees a great multitude that no one could number. There's some irony for you. He just heard the number, but as he looks, it is a multitude that no one can number. And what do these Jews look like? They look like they're from every tribe and people and language and nation. So these are pictures of the same thing. These are both pictures of the church of Jesus Christ rescued by His blood from all peoples. And they're in heaven. And they're worshiping Jesus. They're they're crying out this 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All right, now I've been making a big deal about who these people are. And it's interesting that one of the elders comes up to John and says, Hey, buddy, who are these people? I, I, I find this a, an interesting exchange. Because, like, John doesn't know. So he's like, uh, Sir, you know, why don't you tell me who these people are? But what's happening here is that God is making sure that John is focused on something. You see this big crowd? He's like, yeah, that's a neat big crowd. Who are they? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Who are they? Hadn't thought to ask that question. Why don't you tell me the answer to that question? And the answer to that question in verse 14, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the people of God coming out of their wilderness wanderings, coming out of their time in the desert. These are those arriving to the promised land. And here they are on the golden shores. And they are beginning to worship the Lord. So out of the great tribulation, this refers to that time of tribulation that we live in. The tribulation that's been happening since, on some level, man sinned. But certainly from the time that Christ came until the time He returns again. This time that we've studied in chapter 6 where the judgments of God are poured out upon the wicked. It is a time of tribulation. And, and now God's people are gathered to Him in heaven. And they are worshiping Him together. They're standing before the throne. Look at, look at the end of verse 9. Or the middle of verse 9, I guess. They are standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Do you remember the question at the end of the last chapter? Here's the one on the throne. Here's the Lamb. Who can stand? Hide us, mountains. Fall on us. We'd rather, have, we'd rather be crushed than to stand before this one. And no one could stand before this one. Well, now there's a throng, a numberless throng, standing before this one. How? How? How are God's people standing right here? I'll give you the, the hint. It's what they're wearing. They're standing, verse 9, before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Again, symbolic of the fact that they are standing in holiness, in righteousness. There's no sin stain upon them. They're not defiled. They are standing righteous before God. So far, so good. How? How is it that these are righteous? Verse 14 tells us. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Let's point out something obvious about this. If you need to wash your robes and make them white, that means they were not clean and they were not white. Who are these people standing in heaven? On a certain level, they're no different than the ones crying out to the mountains to fall on them. These are God's once dirty people. These are His once sinful people. 
who have repented and have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. The sacrifice of Jesus was enough for them. We talk about our need for Jesus every week. Let me just give a warning to those who are perhaps newer in their faith or maybe teenagers growing up into Christ and you want to follow Christ and you want to know Him. Can I tell you what may be the hardest part of that for you? It will certainly be one of the hardest parts for you. I think of my own self growing up through the teenage years and through the 20s. The hardest thing is realizing how badly you need Jesus. You grow up and realize that your robes are filthy. That your robes are sinful. That this is way worse than any preacher told you about. Oh my, I'm awful. That day will come, dear young brother, young sister in Christ, where you realize that the depth of your sin is far worse, the stains far worse, that they are that they are indelibly marked that you cannot remove them. Let me assure you in advance, His blood is enough for you. His blood is enough for you. Do you hear the amens? The amens are not from people who, who just kind of skate through life and and, and, and don't feel their need for Jesus. The amens are people who have gone, I have no hope but Him. And I have found that He's enough for me. And friend, He's enough for you. He's enough for you. He is enough for you. He's enough for you. Friend, He's enough. Because the only people in heaven are those with once dirty robes. Made white. Not by themselves but by the blood of the Lamb. Glory to God. That's who's there. And that's what they're singing, right? They're not like, hey, we made it. Glory to us. Isn't it good to be better than everybody else? Their song, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. His blood is enough. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So let me ask you, the Word of God asks you, have you washed your robe? Have you washed your robes? You need to. Have you? Second call that God gives from His Word for you to repent today. If you haven't, turn to Christ. Ask Him to cleanse you. He already knows how badly you need it. Admit it, and He'll do it. And friends, listen. If you are a believer, and you have washed your robes, then let me just say, 
act like it. His blood's enough for you. His blood's enough. Get your eyes off the sin and back to your Savior who died for you and believe the gospel. It's enough for you. Praise the Lord. We're going to worship Him on that day. Oh, are we going to worship Him? And our sin will simply testify to His goodness. Thank you, Lord. Verse 15. I don't have the tenth of the time that I need to talk about these verses. We will go quickly. I want to point out the first word of verse 15, therefore. It almost doesn't fit what's going on. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore they are before the throne of God. They serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Oh, what a precious word that is. That word shelter them is, is the word tabernacle. In the Old Testament, we built a tabernacle for God. Here, He becomes our tabernacle for us. He shelters us with His own presence. They shall hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor the scorching heat. What's the word therefore all about? What's the therefore? Therefore. Well, the end of verse 14 that connects to verse 15. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they stand before God. Therefore, they serve Him day and night. Therefore, He protects them from all that could harm them. Therefore, He, he gathers them into His very presence and tabernacles with Him. What's the therefore, therefore, to remind us that they are there because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's about what they're wearing. And they're wearing the righteousness of Jesus. And they're singing of the fact that He cleansed them. What hope is ours, friends? The Gospel is so powerful. It, it takes us from wandering from God and stuck in our sin, and then we go through this season where we're like just feeling all the feels about being guilty for our sin. It takes us from all, all the way from there into His throne room where you and me, unworthy though we are, will serve Him day and night for all eternity. What? Oh, precious is the flow. Oh, precious is the blood of Christ. Last verse, one of the most sweet verses in the Bible. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I think this is the only place where that phrase is used. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the hope of the saints. For there are many tears that will need to be wiped away. And they will all be wiped away on that day. Who's going to take care of us in heaven? We're going to get there, probably going to feel a little different than here, you know? Uh, who's going to take care of us? The lamb will be their shepherd. Now there's a mixed metaphor for you. 
the sheep, the lamb, will be the shepherd. What does that tell us? The one who's like us will care for us. The one who became like us and who knows our weakness and knows our frailty and knows our sin and knows our struggles. That one, the one who died for our sin, who shed his own blood for us, that one will care for us forever. Glory to God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a picture of Christ caring for his people. And he will guide us to springs of living water. I mean, uh, water that gives life. Water that gives eternal life. Water that quenches and satisfies. Every pure desire. Every good want. Every godly hope. Every one. Totally and fully satisfied forever. And every tear wiped away. Glory to God. Friends, that day is coming. That day is coming for each of us. And I don't care how old you are, you're almost there. Take hope. We're almost there. This is the hope of the saints. This is not the hope of the saints. Father, today's fun. It's not the hope of the saints. This is the hope of the saints. We are almost home. Time runs quickly. The river flows rapidly. And those golden shores are approaching. The older you get, the more you become aware. You're walking with the Lord. That day is coming. Take heed. That day is coming. Oh, take hope. That day is coming. Stand today. Because that day is coming. That day is coming. Every burden will be lifted. Every sorrow wiped away. Every joy will be made complete. And we will be home. This is home. You might not have had a great home. You will have a great home. This is home. Every, every home here is but a, a whisper. A, a black and white shadow of this. This is home. Home's going to be awfully good. So church, how do we stand? We stand today in this dark world because we are sealed with the name of Christ. So we stand in the power of God and with our faith in our God that he who sealed us will keep us. That's how we stand. And we're going to stand today wearing the righteousness of Christ. These robes which he's already clothed us in, which work and our dark days, they're going to work on that day of glory too when we gather around the throne wearing those same things. Home is coming. Home is worth fighting for. Home is worth standing for. And as he has sealed you, he will bring you home. So take heart, we're almost there. Let's worship together. Worship team, come on up. Lord, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters, my, my friends, some of whom are, are facing difficult challenges right now, some of whom are going to face them soon. Lord, would you give us hope in you and in your strength? Help us hide beneath the seal that you've placed upon us 
and trust that our God, who's done so much to steal us, will do whatever it takes to keep us. Let us stand in honor of you, in awe of you. Let us stand until we see you that day and stand before you. In your name, amen.